Welcome to this week's episode of Trainer's Lifestyle. This week, I'm speaking with Bill War, who is also my dad, and he's a trainer, which is awesome. We talk about the topic of being a trainer in the corporate world, which he has been part of for at least 20 years, going into topics of what does it take and how can you develop your career as a corporate trainer, as well as the specific topics of structured problem solving, which is a type of training based off Six Sigma, which is what his speciality is. We also talk a bit about online learning because we're currently developing an online platform for this type of training. Hope you enjoy, and here's the episode. We're live. Today I'm speaking with Bill War. He's also my dad, and he is a trainer who's been in training in the business world for about 20 years in continents such as the US, Europe, and Asia in business problem solving and is now taking training in a new direction where he's creating an online learning platform for business problem solving again. So, hi, Dad. Hey, Oscar. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. This is really cool. Yeah, it's really cool to talk with you because I didn't know that you were a trainer until I learned what training was. Mm-hmm. So what I want to learn about is what, how you became a trainer and what it looks like to be a trainer for so long and also in the big corporate world because you were just working at Nestle until not long ago. Mm-hmm. So until now, how, what does your training journey look like? Actually, how did you get into it? Um, well, I guess it started when um, I learned something called Six Sigma from General Electric back in 1997. And, and when I left the company I was with, they told me that I had to train another engineer in the methods and tools that I had learned. So I thought that just simply meant telling him what I knew and uh, telling him the training. Of course, I realized that's not training at all. And the same thing I when I tried to train customers working in Sweden with Hewlett Packard, I was just giving them information. But then later I took a role as something called a master black belt where you're responsible for training um, these methods and tools. And that's where I got a lot of help from the HR department in the company I was working at because they told me things like, how do you structure a presentation? How do you engage your um, audience? What is the kind of a flow of doing a training, which is uh, what everyone always repeats is tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Uh, so that was one thing I learned. I also learned a lot that, you know, slides are good, but you need to get the people hands-on and, and, and learning. So it's also about learning that people have different learning styles. Some are very, you know, theoretical, more hands-on. Some more need to just have the theory and absorb it, and some need to see it practically applied. So that's when I really learned a lot about training. And this was back in 2003, 2004. And Basically, since then, that's all I've been working on for the last 15 years is training hundreds of people and using these methods and every time learning something new. Awesome. Yeah. The people listening, most of them are like trainers who are very into experiential learning. So it's yeah, more giving training about like leadership skills or soft skills where you do very hands on Mm -hmm. things as well. Mm -hmm. So what kind of topics were you um, delivering trainings about? So we had, we had what we called two types of uh, topics. One was the, the hard stuff. So this is like, you know, learning how to do a statistics or how do you write out a certain uh, report or how do you uh, 
conduct a session. So it's very, you know, one, two, three, four, five. But then, you know, what you realize is that when you're working with people in teams, that you need to also have some soft skills. And so we would teach soft skills like how do you facilitate a meeting? Um, how do you structure a team? How do you get feedback? So we incorporate both hard skills and, and soft skills into the training. Mm. Is that what you're doing in like Nestle and HP? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, also even just stakeholder management and communication skills we would teach because these would become important. Mm -hmm. What kind of people were you training then? Was it HR or? No, um, it was actually all kinds of people. Uh, sometimes a lot of in factories, you're training engineers and technicians mm. um, and, and the management team in, in R&D, research and development. You're training scientists and engineers, but also technicians. And then sometimes in like back office or admin uh, functions, then you're just you're, you're yeah, you're working with those type of people. Um, but what's always important with the trainings that you're delivering is that the management also has some kind of awareness. So a lot of times we also train the management teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's for, I think that's useful for almost everybody then. Exactly. That, you know, everyone is on the same page um, because if you want to have common action, uh, you need common language. So that's important. Yeah, that's true. A lot of the listeners actually come from like student organizations and big group are engineers as well mm -hmm. which is funny like a lot of like you where you studied engineering then became a trainer so it looks like a common path mm. so that's how what training in a corporate setting looks like how do you design your training sessions for me it's more or less i set the goals and then i want to have some kind of flow right mm -hmm. but do you come up with the topics or do people request them and how do you design them well, most of the trainings that I've delivered were very specific. So there's a set method and tools that have been around since the 80s. And every, so um, the only thing I've done is tried to make it less, you know, I mean, you know, I've seen training packages of like 500 slides and it's just, you know, oh, yeah, I know, you know, I don't know who can go through that. So in that case, you're trying to always think about how can I teach this in a way that's practical, but also not so silly that it's far removed. I mean, if we're talking about, um, I don't know, a pharmaceutical company, it doesn't make any sense to talk about pizza examples. So you have to make it relevant. So sometimes what you have to do is you have to take the theory and you have to figure out what kind of example can I use that they can relate to that will demonstrate the theory that I'm trying to apply or trying to uh, transfer to them. Yeah, speaking of activities and example, how do you make them fun? Because for me, it's when I do training for like it's young adults, it's mostly fun, so I can make activities like a bit silly. Mm -hmm. But in a corporate setting, I guess it's a bit more serious, right? It can be. I think you can have fun in a corporate setting. Um, you know, some corporate settings are different. So, for example, just little things like having some music, you know, you have your speaker there and mm. a little bit of music and... Sometimes if you get the right age group, uh, for example, my age, then it's easy. You can guess the music, but yeah. Um, other things are obviously using flip charts, um, not having people sit too long. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's necessary to sit long, for example, sometimes you need to give an hour of theory. It's just how it is, okay? Then it's better to do that in the morning, mm -hmm. you know, when people are awake and they're not so tired after lunch. You know, people are tired, so you want more motion. So you have to kind of plan the day also to 
have a flow, but at the same time, you know, adapt to the people's rhythms and, and how they feel and, you know, and, and, and go with that. And sometimes I do silly things. If, for example, uh, the class is kind of getting a little tired or something. I, I once we did a little um, exercise where we all got into a yoga position just for 30 minutes just to do something different. Wow, that's, that is pretty funny. Yeah. Cool. So then you deliver these sessions and um, a big topic that a lot of people struggle with or want to know more about is follow up and how to make thing these trainings useful. Like in a train in a corporate environment, I think I feel like it's more it's easier to make sure that people are doing or util utilizing what they learn. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you do that? Like. Yeah, it depends because sometimes in a corporate environment, they have these trainings and you go to the training because you think it's interesting and you like it. And then, but then the question is, how do you apply it? Right. Yeah. Um, and if you want to apply it and you have a question, what do you do? Who do you, mm -hmm. you, you know, go back to? So in again, coming back to the specific program of Six Sigma training these methods and tools, we always had training and coaching together. The idea being that you, you get this training to run a project, you run the project and you get coached by someone who also knows the training. Mm -hmm. And then you have these coaching sessions where you can go back and you say, Hey, you know, I'm this far, I'm in this part. I don't understand what I should do, or I'm not sure clear for me what I need to do. So coaching, I think is, um, like an additional leg for training. Uh-huh. And even a third one could be you actually sometimes help facilitate. Sometimes people learn stuff. You can teach them how to facilitate. You can give them an agenda, but they still don't feel comfortable mm. because, you know, it's a new experience. So sometimes what you can do is sometimes you actually do the stuff. You show them how to do it so they feel more comfortable. Do you have an example? Yeah, I do. I mean, for example, this is like in a complicated project, uh, for example, where stakeholders are, let's say, um, a bit difficult or yeah. political, if you want to call it. Um, and it's just, you know, that's a natural thing in a large company. So people have their opinions and they have their stakes. So what you do is sometimes that the pe person will say, listen, I'll organize it, but actually facilitating this type of activity because of the complications of the stakeholders. Mm. Can you handle this for me? So then you kind of help them there. But that's not really training if you want, because uh -huh. that's kind of helping someone in a difficult situation. But definitely coaching is very valuable because it allows the person to go back after the training and say, hey, you know, I want to use this tool, but I don't know if this tool is applicable in what I'm trying to achieve. Can you give me some guidance? And then as a coach, because you've seen this before, you offer something. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I think so. Like it's, yeah, making sure that people follow up through specific coaching right is that yeah. a thing of six sigma like what is six sigma exactly yeah so six sigma is these methods and tools to help you solve problems so for example in a factory you have a lot of product problems complaints quality in your in an office environment you can have issues you know things take too long or there's a lot of waste so you're trying to fix these problems and you use projects to do that and then you give people tools to be able to solve the problem okay yeah that leads to the yeah, topic of structured problem solving, right? Which the topic that you're delving into right now and you've been training on for a long time, right? Right. Yeah, what are some tools that you learn or what does a structured problem solving training look like? So it, the idea is, is that um, when you have a problem and, and especially uh, 
I think we've talked about this before, is that this is for when you need a team to solve a problem. This mm -hmm. isn't that you as an individual, your boss told you fix this and you have to fix it. Uh, it's more, you know, we need, I need an engineer, I need a guy from finance, I need a, a, someone from the customers, or I need all these different people to come together and solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, everyone has these different perspectives, right? Um, so what you need to do is you need to align them and the tools help people align. So an example is, is that what is the scope of the problem that we're working on? Yeah. And he, uh, here's an, a really good example where it didn't work. Okay. So sure. everyone said we had a problem with the, um, cocoa chocolate, the yeah. cocoa beans, the chocolate coming from the Ivory coast. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh, several, about. 10 years ago or something, there was a civil war in the Ivory Coast. So, and they're a big producer of chocolate. And we have to make sure that the chocolate supply is still coming out. And when you talk to different people, you had different perspectives on what was the problem. So, for example, the, the guy who was in charge of selling the chocolate, he wanted to make sure that the chocolate we got has the right profile. It means mm -hmm. that, you know, has the right taste or it has the right aromas. So it's the right chocolate. The guy who has to buy the chocolate, he wants to make sure that there's enough supply for whatever is needed in the market. Okay, so he's more concerned about supply. And the last guy who has to pay for the chocolate, he's worried about how much it costs. So what is the problem? Is it cost? Is it supply? Or is it the right cocoa bean? And in this case, we couldn't agree. But the tool that we were using helped show that, that maybe we don't have the same problem. What was the tool called? This was uh, called a SIPOC. So we looked at, we, it's, a, it's a supplier input process output. But basically what it does is it, it creates a frame around the problem. So you know what's inside and what's out. Uh -huh. So to understand the problem more deeply. Yeah, well also to understand what is not the problem. Sometimes that's the biggest uh, discussion mm -hmm. in the beginning is what is not the problem. And that just comes from people's perspectives? Exactly. So, for example, another exercise we do just to get people aware of having these different perspectives in a team is we ask everyone to draw a tropical island. Uh -huh. And then everyone shows their tropical island on the A4 sheet and everyone can recognize the tropical island, right? So one word, more or less, it looks the same. Uh -huh. The problem is, is in a discussion in the team, the team will talk about the differences rather than what's similar. And so, for example, they'll talk about how my tropical island has a hammock and no one else's does. And they will just talk about that and talk about that. And what this tool does is it makes everyone look at what is similar in the tropical island that we all agree on. So for example, that it has palm trees, that it's surrounded by water. So that's what, how we focus on things. And then we can exclude the other stuff. Uh -huh. So the idea is we have the same picture of a tropical island, meaning when we talk about whatever, cocoa beans, manufacturing or tropical islands, we all see the same thing. That's the most important. Uh, okay. But isn't it important to recognize the differences too? Of course, if they're relevant, Yeah. if they're relevant, sometimes people just bring their opinions. They think that is important, uh -huh. but when you look at the common goal, it's not important. Oh, okay. So as an example, it's important in finance to have a good, um, accounting and reporting. Mm -hmm but it doesn't do anything to sell products. Sure. Okay. It doesn't do anything for a customer buying a yogurt, but it's still necessary. So which perspective do you take? 
So these tools help you align the teams on perspectives. That's all done mostly in like uh, physical training um, places in, in the workspace, right? Yeah, usually you have these uh, one day, two days, sometimes a couple of weeks training, and you go through these different modules. Uh -huh. The other problem is when you get to what is causing the problem, uh -huh. okay? And there again, the team dynamics, right? You brought all these different people, all their different um, expertise, but also all their different opinions. And everyone has an opinion. Um, and what you really want to know is what is actual fact, and so, the, again, the tools say this is the important fact. Yes, your opinion is, is important, but this is the important fact that we need to go after. Yeah, that must be hard to identify sometimes. Sometimes, and it can get emotional too. So Yeah, yeah, because people feel attached to, right. their, to their opinions. Hey there. Hope your ears are enjoying this so far. This is the mid-episode break. You're listening to Trainer's Lifestyle, the podcast provided by Trainer's Forum biggest community of trainers in Europe. Visit www.trainersforum.org to learn more about our work. Now, back to the show. Yeah, so that's training in the physical workspace and you're also moving a lot towards the virtual and digital training um, side now. Yeah. So, yeah, what is... That's mainly what you're working on, and I'm working on as well on with our company Icaza. Um, is that the future of training, or is that like a part that people think should should be incorporated into the big companies? Yeah, I think it's first of all. I mean, the technologies, and even in the last five years, I mean, honestly, if, it's incredible. If you look at five years ago, I don't think you could have done this, or it would have been difficult to do what we want to do. The other thing is, is that these large training programs, large companies can afford them because, well, they have the large infrastructure and, and they can leverage the size. But most companies are small, medium-sized companies and they don't have access to this. And I think that the whole thing about putting stuff on digital, putting stuff online is going to make it more accessible to these companies. And that's where I see the big opportunity is medium-sized companies can learn from all these tools and methods that big companies have used to improve their business performance. A lot of people think, yeah, like they enjoy physical trainings because there you get to connect with people. Um, what are the upsides and downsides of like online training then? Yeah, so I agree. I mean, being together in a room is really great. And even as a trainer, it's a lot of energy to, you know, to f have people asking you questions and, and fielding those questions and answering them. So yeah, on the other hand, you're, you're exhausted by the end of a training session, as, as I'm sure you know, right? Yeah. Um, no, I think, so the benefits of the um, online training compared to classroom training is basically your time. Mm -hmm. It's becoming more and more difficult for people to leave the office, spend two weeks in somewhere else, away from the work, um, you know, and instead usually what they end up doing is having to answer the emails in the evenings. And so there's a lot of stress on that to do that. And the other thing is, is that imagine if you're doing a project that's taking, I don't know, three to five months or even three to six months, and you get the training at the beginning of the project, which would be ideal, right? Mm -hmm. If you're lucky, it's right as right. As soon as you finish the training, you start your project. Okay. But that never happens. Oh. 
Because first of all, you have to find a training and you have to find out when it is and your project needs to happen now. It's not, you know, so the idea is a little bit uh, flipped with, um, with classroom training, whereas you go and get the training and then you use the training Mm -hmm. where in reality training should be based on a need to use. Yeah. Right. So actually it should be triggered the other way. I have a project. Now I need to learn the skills to be able to execute the project. Mm. but again, I can't wait six months to attend a training. The problem needs to solve today. So online courses Mm. and the way that these courses are being uh, put in place, for example, um, this tool I mentioned, the SidePoc tool in a classroom environment, this is like with 15 people, it takes about an hour to an hour and 20 minutes to train. You can train it to some individual using online training in three to five minutes. So in three to five minutes, the person can watch the video, understand what they need to do, and then they can go and execute right away. Oh, yeah, that's super useful. So it's a lot more useful. Now, you have to have commitment um, and you have to have a need. But if you have that, then it becomes a lot easier for you to learn because you learn as you need it. That makes a lot of sense. And also just another thing compared to classroom uh, environments, usually what we have to do is we have to teach in the one or two weeks all the all the tools all the methods so it's a lot it's a lot and the problem is you're not going to use it all Mm. you're going to use some of it you know the problem is i don't know what some of it you need some of it you need some of it someone else doesn't need so we teach everything in one go Mm. with online training based on the person's needs you can customize it you can say hey you need this and this and this but you don't need necessarily these modules they can be optional so you again you save time and you save energy because you don't you get what you need not what you know is kind of packaged oh that's so true and uh these tools for structured problem solving is that that's relevant for all companies you think yeah it's uh it's basically the idea is um with structured problem solving is to change your way of thinking Mm -hmm. so normally what we're taught in school is here's a problem what's the solution and the solution is based on what i know So that's what I try to do, okay? But then sometimes what I do is I bring other team members and we try to solve it together. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, we're just jumping to the solution and we're trying things out. So we did a survey with uh, uh, 250 line managers in Nestle. Yeah. And we asked them, when you're solving a problem, what percentage of the time do you spend scoping the problem? Meaning what's in and what's out? How much time do you spend making an actual measurement to make sure the data you have that says you have a problem is correct? Mm -hmm. Analyze the problem, create a solution, and then make sure that the problem doesn't reoccur, that it's sustainable. Mm -hmm. So five different phases. With structured problem solving, you spend 20% in each one. Managers were telling us, no, we spend 60 to 70% of our time, we jump into the solution phase and we stay there. Because we think it's faster if we start making solutions. But because we didn't identify what the problem really is, how we measured it, and what are the true root causes, we're actually just chasing our tail and wasting time. Yeah, I can see the appeal of jumping to the solution that somebody has straight away. Yeah, it's the superhero, uh, you know, put out the fire kind of thing, right? Uh But a lot of times you end up spending a lot of time firefighting. Yeah. Why don't most people know that um, they should focus on the problem then? 
I think they don't, you know, they just haven't learned. I mean, you get you get paid in in, in a company to solve problems, uh-huh. but they don't necessarily tell you how they want them solved. They just tell you solve it. And you know, that that was a mentality that worked back in the 50s, you know, where you say, "Hey, just do it. I don't care how you do it." Yeah. When in fact, we know that today for doing different activities, there is a best way. So the idea is you should, you know, companies should take a responsibility to teach their people how to solve problems and how they expect them to be solved. And most companies don't do that today. What are the other skills that people look at or that companies um, want? So structured problem solving is a big one. What other training do big companies look for now? Um, leadership trainings, you know, your classic leadership trainings, how teams facilitating presentation skills, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But now what you start to see in the last, I would say five years, um, maybe the really advanced companies have been doing this for 10 years is how to especially teach people to give feedback. Mm-hmm. You would think that most yeah. people know how to do that, but they don't. Yeah. It's um, a sensitive one. Yeah, how to well not only how to give feedback but obviously how to receive feedback and how to use it. And the other one is how can managers help their teams grow without telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the servient leadership is a new theme that's coming out. So that means that line managers have to have coaching skills. So we see in big corporations a lot of coaching training for line managers. Hmm. Did you ever deliver on any of that? Um, not coaching per se. What I worked with leadership teams was more behaviors. So for example, if they wanted to achieve a certain objective, uh, for example, one, one group of managers, uh, management team, they wanted more innovation. So they wanted more creativity. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, that's great. But that's agile, right? Yeah. I mean, well, that's a method or tool that they just wanted the behavior. They wanted some, and I was like, okay, that, that sounds great, but what does it look like? You know? So I, that wasn't really even a training more sense as a, as an awareness for them to become aware that, you know, if we want this, what kind of behaviors do we need to see and how are we going to encourage them? And so we, we had these workshops we did with 10 different management teams where We spent two or three hours going through this exercise and you go from what we want to what are the behaviors we should see to what are the actions the management team is going to put in place to actually encourage those. How do you make sure that they do those behaviors afterwards? Because behavior changes can be quite difficult, even if you just have awareness. Yeah, you you have to figure out how to measure it, which is always difficult, uh, sometimes subjective. And you have to have a, a rhythm. Uh-huh. You know, it's great to say something coming out of a workshop. Wow, I'm really excited about this. But then, you know, one month, two months, three months, 12 months from now, are you still living that? So there the management teams need to take some kind of responsibility to integrate it into their routines. Yeah. How did you do it? It wasn't always easy. Some didn't work. Um, I think it, it worked when one of the leader of the the team leader or one of the leaders in the team took responsibility for that. Sometimes it was an HR person. So the head of HR would take responsibility because it's kind of an HR topic of behaviors. So they took responsibility to make sure that repeatedly we keep, you know, the management team would look at, are we, you know, following through on these behaviors and are we encouraging them and, and, and can we measure any progress? 
And again, this is the feedback part is important, you know? Um, so having those two things, you know, these are the behaviors we want, but are we getting feedback on that? You know, can we improve? Is this going in the right direction? Um, so one way I saw it worked really well, I thought it was a little heavy on the structure was they would, they would use a, a kind of a change management formula. Mm -hmm. So the change management, different steps, and they would measure where they were on the steps with feedback from individuals every week. Uh -huh. So they would, they would randomly select 10 people in the organization of about 200 people. Hmm. And every week, those 10 people would score the seven different uh, elements of the change management. And based on that, they would decide, do they need to do something or not? Uh -huh. So for example, if a score all of a sudden went down, where it's been going well for a while, yeah. That would require them to the leadership team to investigate. If it was doing well, they would like to know what else could be done. How could it be spread? Stuff like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, even though you've been a while in this, if people want to get into training in like a corporate level, um, how would you recommend them to like start? Maybe you said there are some specific topics that people or uh, businesses are looking for. Yeah, I think to be a trainer in a corporate environment, you need to have some kind of passion and expertise that you want to do um, and something that the company needs. I guess we yeah. could almost use your the ikigai kind of thing, you know, where it, here's what I know, uh, here's what I'm passionate about, here's what the company needs. Um, so now how can I deliver that? Mm. And the other one, um, yeah, you know, don't bother learning a lot of stuff because you learn as you train. Uh -huh. So... Maybe don't jump into a two-week training right away. You know, start with a two-hour or something like that. Um, get feedback on it. You could film yourself, of course. Uh, what we used to do is when we would train trainers, is that we would sit in the back of the room and score them. Hmm. And after every day, we would give them feedback on how they could uh, adapt the different parts, you know, and, and give them tips and tricks that we had. That's cool. Yeah. Did uh, was Nestle hiring freelancers? Or was this people that were going to become permanent? These were people inside the organization. So when I started, it was just me. Yeah. Then uh, we hired two external people, so it was three of us. Uh -huh. And after three years, we had over thirty people who could train and coach on the methods in the organization. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So right now, you're working on creating your own um, online training business and we've been working on this for a little bit now and what are like some uh, challenges that you've seen and how has it been going i think the cool thing is is that um it's really easy in the sense that well it's easy in the sense that the stuff is available uh so you know the platforms the videos the microphones and all this other stuff technology is easier to use uh what's still been a challenge is trying to figure out you know what is a nice training that can be delivered online. So there, there's some um, resources available that help show you. Um, and it's interesting, you know, we, we've done some research with YouTube, you know, on what's good and what's bad. And it's amazing that the variability there. So, but I think someone who wants to start up in training online could be a really cool way because it gives you access to a large audience very quickly. Yeah, what we found is that there's yeah, so many different levels of online training available, but people are still buying all these different levels. So like if you know a little bit about a topic and you want to create an online course, then once you create it, it's 
and there will be people that will buy it, mm-hmm. right? And the one that you and I are building together is about structured problem solving. Yeah, structured problem solving for medium-sized companies and also big companies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you see it evolving? I think, um, well, specifically for this one, it's, you know, how do we... Because it's not like, a, you know, everyone wants to learn this. It's not like, you know, if, yeah. like our pancake video. Everyone can, can watch that and learn how to make pancakes. This is very specific to certain things. So I think what we have to do is um, in terms of our marketing strategy and our pricing strategy, that's something that's still a bit of a challenge. You know, how do you price it? Um, yeah, and also reaching the right people. And reaching the right people. Yeah. So there I have some ideas uh, we talked about. But I think the most important right now is we need to get our content out there and we need to validate that the, let's say, our training method is really good. Mm-hmm. Because it has to be engaging, otherwise no one's going to want to watch even a 20-second video. True, true, true. But as long as they can learn something and concrete, actionable advice, that's the most important, I think, as well. It is, um, but it has to be done in an engaging way. I mean, a conversation we had uh, the other day with Svanche, who's working with us, is that you you can describe the tool, you know, like you can describe how to use a hammer, but it can also be very... um, pedantic and almost uh, patronizing the way you do it you're like here i'm the expert and i'm going to tell you how to do it so what's the right right approach what i believe the right approach is and what i think the research is showing is that first of all you have to have an uh, an emotional engagement with the the audience so the way we're going to approach this is we're going to try to describe the problem so that you can relate to it mm-hmm. So again, for example, we could talk, if we talk about projects, you know, how many times have you had a project and in the middle you had a new stakeholder you had to manage that you hadn't thought about, or how many times have you been in a project and it just seems to get bigger and bigger and never finishes kind of thing. So you put them in the, you, you share the experiences that hopefully they, they, they share. Mm -hmm. And then the next part is to get them to, to show them that how this is going to help them with those problems. What are those pains, those barriers that they have and how this will help solve it and what would be the impact? So, for example, I was talking to a lady this morning. We were talking about how doing something different had an impact from a year and a half to only four weeks. It used to take a year and a half. Now it takes four weeks. So you wow. see, you describe the pain and then you show the solution. Now you're interested, right? Yeah. Right. What was it? Yeah. Well, it was about how to bring an idea, um, a scientific idea, into a commercial value for a market uh, to for a certain brand. Mm-hmm. And the way you do it is very simple: is, is that you get you you avoid the bureaucracy that <laughs> she was having to deal with, and she went around it. You know. So everyone's very happy about that. But what does that mean? And how do, how did she specifically do that? So. That's kind of the way we're thinking about is, you know, get the engagement that, yes, I really do have that problem. I understand that. Show them how the solution can give an impact to that problem. And then third is the very end. You just give them the details. Okay, so here's the steps that you need to do to get to what you want to achieve. So as an example, you know, your I don't know, your problem is, is you know, you want to try to do something, uh, for example, you know, I don't know if this relates to someone, but, you know, I, I, I wanted to always wake up in the morning and do sun salutations. Yeah, okay. yoga. And how difficult it is and all my excuses. And so I would say, you know, all the reasons and you know, I don't wake up at the same time every day and stuff like that. 
And then you come with a solution saying how, how I felt your pain and here's how I solved it. So what I did is I put an alarm on and every morning I have that. And it's also, you know, I have a, a space in the house that's blocked off for me and I, I do it. And sometimes I fail and, you know, it's okay. I just restart, you know. And here's the steps I put in place to make sure that it happens. And here's some trips and traps or something like that. And, and that's it. That's all you need to know. Hmm. Yeah, that's all the art of creating effective habits as well. That's what you're trying to do is you're trying to teach someone how to do something, but you need to engage them first. So that's our thought. And uh, especially after we made that first video where I found it was very pedantic and I was just talking to people or randomly, oh, yeah. I wasn't so engaging. So that's what I want to change in, in the storytelling and see if it works. True. Yeah. When creating online courses, it's important to make sure that they're engaged and yeah, be able to relate to the listener or viewer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a little bit more time, but do you have any tips for people that want to get into like online course creation or the other side for anybody that wants to get involved in corporate training or who might be in it right now and are struggling? Well, I wouldn't know what they were struggling with, so I can't answer that one. But um, yeah, if you want to get into corporate training, I guess, um, again, you got to figure out what is what is it that you want to train on, mm. you know, and what kind of and how do you want to develop people? I guess, you know, what's your motivation? Yeah. You know, if you can come up with that, then I think you can go and you can talk to HR, you can talk to your line manager and, and just let, you know, and again, it, one thing is your motivation, but then the company has to reciprocate and say, yeah, we have that need or yes, that would help us a lot. Um, and then the other one is of course, we were talking about before, there's so many resources out there. So go ahead and look at, you know, what's available and, um, and, you know, see what you can do. Uh, of course, HR departments are usually geared up towards training. So usually there's someone there. That's how I learned. There was a training and learning department. And this lady showed me how I should create trainings and how I can deliver them. Oh, cool. Is it important to like select a niche of training topics that you want to become an expert in or can you become a generalist? You can become a generalist. I mean, there's certain topics that you can just train on certain things. Um, you know, like how to do a presentation or stuff like that. I think also, you know, if you, if you want training can also be to help you feel confident in front of people. Mm -hmm. Right. So maybe you want to just practice also speaking, you can use that combined, you know, so if you, if you practice speaking on the side, that's going to help your training a lot more. True, true, true. Yeah. It's important to like gather a lot of different skills mm -hmm. and assets. And facilitating. I mean, sometimes in you've have tr I've had training where you have really difficult questions and everyone's looking at you for the answer and, you know, you have to play nice. You can't, you know, mm. tell the student that he's an idiot and he doesn't know what he's talking about. You have to, you know, you have to be nice about it. So yeah. sometimes as a trainer, you get challenged in a corporate environment and that's just how it is. You have to just listen. Yeah, that can be difficult. It can be. It used to, in the beginning, it used to piss me off, sorry, or it used to get me mad. Um, That's okay. In the beginning, it used to get me mad. Uh, or I, I would, you know, I would go home feeling really, ugh, you know, frustrated or something. Uh -huh. Why is that guy picking on me? He wasn't picking on me as a mm -hmm. trainer. He, I was just, the, you know, delivering the information and, and such. If he, has a, if he has an issue with the concept or he has an in, issue with a principle, it's not me who has a problem. Mm. That's true. Is there anything else you want to mention? 
No, um, I think training like coaching is one of these life skills that uh, regardless if you do it full time or whatever is going to be a benefit. You know, if you have your own company, you have to be able to transmit uh, information to people on how you want things done. Um, if, and you know, if you, if, if you're in a team, you know, working with your team, you, yeah, you need to be able to, uh, to train, share information, stuff like that. So a lot of, you know, training skills per se, or is a great skill to have in life. True, true, true. Well, awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sitting down with me. Yeah, it was great. Thanks a lot, Oscar. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to get even more inspiration on Trainers Lifestyle and upcoming events in Trainers Forum, join our group on Facebook and follow our page on social media. We host a yearly conference and multiple local trainers meetings around Europe. The links are in the bio, but you can also Google Trainers Forum. Stay tuned and have a great day.